Our text will be John chapter 15, verses 12 to 17. Continuing on in this, these last discourses of our Lord Jesus, the last things that he is saying to his disciples before his departure, his encouragement to them, his commands to them, things that they need to be expecting of, disclosing all the necessary things that they need to know for this great coming trial that is going to happen in just a few hours. It's going to be a few short hours before our Lord is going to be arrested, and then you have the mockery of a trial that he goes through, ultimately the next day being crucified. This portion of God's Word is one that is so beloved. It's a portion of God's word that just brings such joy to our hearts, at least it should. Because within these set of verses of what we're going over this morning, friendship is a lot of the theme, as well as the overarching theme being that of love. Jesus is going to say some very profound things to his disciples, speaking to them of not him being the master and them being the servants, but to say to them, you are my friends. Not only does he say, you are my friends, to his disciples, but he is saying this in light of all who would believe in him. You know, friendship is very important in our lives. It often characterizes certain periods of our lives. Sometimes we, we can think back to a certain memory and we say, I remember I was at such and such place and so and so was there with me. I remember that. We remember major things that happened in our life based on the friends that we had at the time, close friends. You know, sometimes you can look back into your elementary school life and you can think, well, who was, who was my friend back in my elementary school life and what things did we do? And then middle school, you have certain friends and then high school, you have certain friends and then in college and then your 20s and you just keep going. You have major periods of your life that are characterized by your friendships. And friendships are very important. We value friendships. And it's a comfort to have friends, close friends, to share things with. You know, with your friends, you share your struggles, you share your pains, you share the things that you aspire to be, aspire to do, your dislikes, your likes, mostly everything you share with your friend or friends. And as a result of that, that sharing and that trust that you have with one another in order to share those things, those intimate details of your life that normally you wouldn't tell anyone else, that brings you closer together as friends, closer friends, best friends. Some things we hold back on, some things we don't tell, even our closest friends, because those things that are in the deepest recesses of who we are, we're like, hmm. I'm not really going to share that. Maybe it's too embarrassing. Maybe it's too much of a, of maybe the struggle that you have in your life. Because we can all sit and, and talk about to each other what things go through our minds that shouldn't. Thoughts that go through there that you just would love to just remove and to, and to kick out of, of your life as a whole. Oftentimes we don't share those things. But we do pretty well, pretty much share everything else. And that builds that trust, which is a huge factor within friendships. That sharing with one another. 
And maybe this is why this particular passage of Scripture is it's just so important, why it is so cherished and favored. Because Jesus calls his people friends. He calls us friends even though he knows the truth of who we really are. He knows those deep things that we don't share with even our closest friends. He knows all of that. He knows our thoughts are far off, as the scripture tells us. The deepest recesses of our being, he knows everything. And yet he calls you and I friends. And he extends his love to us. And to me that is so astonishing. The magnitude of this love is presented to us in this passage. And he says of that love that he is going to be teaching us this, this Lord's Day. This love is seen, the greatest act, that a man laid down his life for his friends. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 5, For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How great is this love of God. And we'll get more into that here in a little bit. But this is, is presented to us as the supreme example to follow in this particular passage. To love to the fullest measure is the idea here. Christians are to be characterized by our love for one another, the love of God, uh, absolutely, but our love of each other. Even the Romans, as they're persecuting the Christians, I mean, one thing that the Romans had even remarked was, See how much they love each other. They were characterized by that love. And at times it's difficult. At times it can be exhausting. This is that selfless, sacrificial love. But it can be very, very rewarding as well. Not only for you, but for the other that is in your life. So as we approach this passage, let us approach this passage with, with deep gratitude and humility before our Lord as these truths are set before our very eyes to give us that example of the love that we are to follow and to seek to, to present to all of our brothers and sisters in Christ. If you would please stand with me for the reading of God's word. This is the inspired, inerrant, authoritative, infallible words of the living God. Let us give our attention to these words of the glorious Lord Jesus. John chapter 15, beginning of verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. This I command you, that you love one another. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you 
for this portion of your word. We thank you that we have the greatest example of, of love presented to us in the work of the Lord Jesus. Father, we are very selfish, selfish people. We often focus on ourselves. But help us, Father. Help us by the Spirit of God that you have granted to your people to change us, to, to shape us to be what is good and pleasing in your sight and to love others selflessly and sacrificially even when it's difficult to do so. Help us, Lord, to keep in mind that our greatest privilege is to know you, to serve you, to glorify your name while we have opportunity on earth. Work within our hearts this day and bring about the necessary changes to our lives. Let us not leave here the same way in which we came. Bless the preaching of your word, Father. Speak to your people this day. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's children said, amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> Jesus has been talking here in John chapter 15 about abiding in him, being connected to him as he is referring to himself as the true vine, that last of the I am statements. Jesus says, I am the true vine. You are the branches. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. We're learning about how we are to be connected to Christ. We are to continue that fellowship and that intimate relationship with our Lord Jesus. If we desire to do anything of spiritual value in, the, in our own lives or in the lives of others. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. We can do a whole lot of things. We can, we can do a whole lot of things that, that people would consider to be good works or we're, we're trying to invest in others in our own way. People look at that and say, wow, what a wonderful job that they're doing. But the thing that we have to keep in mind is that even on the day of judgment, we, as the Apostle Paul talks about the wood, hay, and the stubble, you can make a big mound with wood, hay, and stubble. And it may look magnificent. In the times in which you're here doing the things that you're doing. But if it is not done with the genuine heart. If it is not done out of love for Christ. And love for your fellow man. It's all going to be burned up anyway. You can do nothing of any spiritual value. Apart from your relationship to the Lord Jesus. His desire for his disciples is to bear more, much fruit. So prove to be his disciples. He even tells them, as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. This is how we stay within the, the true vine, is to abide in his word, abide in his love. Continue that fellowship, that intimacy that we have with him. And he ends that particular section, as, as Jason had went over last week, saying this, these very words, These things I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy be made full. So what he is talking about previously and the things that he's getting ready to talk about are contingent upon this. You have the opportunity to have a joyful life if you continue doing these things. Abiding in the true vine. We abide in the true vine. You can have joy to the fullest in your life. 
And then he begins, as he is speaking of those things to his disciples, he's already brought up that love. And he even says to them now, in light of what he just said, that my joy may be in you, may be made full. And what's the very next thing that he goes to? This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. If you think about this, Jesus had summed up the law. When you read back in Matthew, what is the greatest commandment in the law? To love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. The overarching virtue of the entirety of the law is that of love. That's what gives everything else meaning is love. But the, the difficult part or the, the thing that we neglect to do is when we look at the Ten Commandments, for example, we look at the Decalogue and we, we understand that the law is an expression of the holiness of God or what God demands of us. We understand that we can't keep it. That was our need for Christ and Christ through him, through faith in him, the law is now fulfilled in us. And yet we go back to the law to see those things that are good and pleasing in the sight of God to do them because we know that he delights in them. So when we look at the Ten Commandments and we understand from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that it's mostly a heart issue, not just physically not doing these things that he speaks of in the, in the Ten Commandments, but it's a heart issue too that we have to overcome. When we do things that are against the Ten Commandments, for example, when we lie to one another or we have such anger in our hearts that we have committed murder in our hearts, we feel that guilt and we feel that conviction. But what we have to understand is that when he is giving this command right here, to love one another, that that is equal weight with everything else in the Decalogue. But that's the very thing that we often neglect. We don't think it, it bears the same weight as the other things that we read of within the Ten Commandments, for example. Yet, within the Ten Commandments, that's the overarching virtue. If you don't have love, then you can't do none of these other things. Not to the extent that we could. Love is the greatest of the virtues of the Christian faith. It carries the same weight as any other commandment. And yet it's often the one that we don't feel conviction for when we have done wrong to our brothers or our sisters. If we haven't loved them in the way that we should have. We make up all kinds of excuses why we don't. But then when we look back to thou shalt not murder and thou shalt not commit adultery and you shouldn't covet and you shouldn't lie and, and honor, the, honor the Sabbath and honor your father and mother. We look at those things and we're like, oh, I really got to do those things because I know these are pleasing to the Lord. Lord, help me to do those. When we should be praying, Lord, help me to love as you love and then these will become easier. But we don't pray like that. We want to honor the Lord without honoring the very things that he says when it comes to this particular subject of love. I only love those who love me. That's often our attitude. I don't love those that don't love me. That's not within the Christian faith. And Jesus even says that. What good is it if you only love those who love you? Now, love... This kind of love is not that, that sappy love. And, and here in the, in the English language, it's, it's often used for some kind of a romanticism, kind of a love and whatever. But this is a selfless, sacrificial love 
It's not just deciding that I'm not going to do this to you because this would be wrong for me to do. It's not just the negative aspect, but it's the positive aspect. I'm not going to do these things to hurt you, et cetera, et cetera. But the other aspect of that is I will do these things for you to show you that I love you. There's that, that positive and that negative that should be there. We often keep the negative part, okay? I won't do that. While neglecting one of the most important parts of it is, I will do this for you. That, that positive aspect is the very thing that only enhances the love of God towards us. Because Jesus would say here, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. It's a doing. It's an active love. It's not just a passive love that I won't do things to hurt you or say things to hurt you. This is a love that is actively showing itself and demonstrating itself in the lives of others. This is the kind of love that they're going to need. The disciples. In the great trial that's getting ready to come. They're going to need each other. They're going to need that kind of a love being given to one another. After our Lord is even raised from the dead and he commissions them to go out into the world, they're going to need that kind of a love because they're only going to have each other. Because they're going to be persecuted by both the Jews and the Romans as they're sharing the gospel. Who else do they have? They only have each other. And so that love that Christ is introducing us to, that Christ is demonstrating to us, is the kind of love that needs to be within the, the church setting itself among the people of God. We should be characterized by our love for one another. Not by our dislike of one another. Not by our conflicting personalities. But by our love to love each other regardless of the differences of personalities. To love each other even when it's hard. Even when it's difficult. That's the kind of love that Christ loved us with. And the ultimate example of that is the laying down of one's life for his friends. This is exactly what Christ himself is going to do. He's going to give his life for his friends. We think of things like this and we can think of a variety of examples of this kind of love giving our lives for the life of others usually it would be a spontaneous thing we wouldn't plan necessarily to say that such and such is going to happen tomorrow or the next day and instead of my friend dying I'm going to go take their place usually it doesn't work like that usually it's a matter of jumping in front of a bullet for your buddy for your friend or maybe it's pushing them out of the way in order to uh, help or to save them from being hit by a car, for example. Something like that. It's to, to dive into a lake or a river in order to save another without even thinking of it. It happens and you just spontaneously do it. That's usually how it works out. Um, one theologian was talking about a grandfather and his grandson in West Virginia that went fishing. They were out on their boat. Neither one of them could swim. Somehow or other, the little grandson fell into the water. 
And without even thinking, the grandfather jumps into the water to try to save his grandson. And they both ended up drowning. Neither one of them could swim. When they found him, the grandfather still was clutching his grandson. Like he couldn't, he couldn't think of anything else but to get to him. He didn't even have a hand free in order to even try to get up from the water. He had both hands clutching his grandson. That happened in a moment. Another example of something that we might be familiar with was a former wrestler just a couple of years ago on the coast of California. He went to the beach with his family. And his 10-year-old son was out in the water and got caught in a riptide. So he ran in to go get his son. And they both got caught. So the lifeguard is out trying to save them both. And so this man, his name is Shad Gaspard, throws his 10-year-old son to the lifeguard and says, save him. Just as he's caught out to sea. In moments like that, we would be willing to give our lives for those closest to us, our friends. Usually it happens in that kind of a way. Spontaneous. But the greatest act of love that Christ is showing us is far greater than even any of that. Because when he got here, even before he left heaven, before he ever left his throne, he knew he was coming to die. He knew that. Every year that he spent here on this earth, he knew what he was heading towards. And here's the thing about his death compared to any others. We give our lives for our friends. Maybe we can save them from physical death. But he didn't just die a physical death. He didn't just allow himself to die in order to save us from, our, from physical demise. He died spiritually in this sense. That the very pains and agonies and torments of hell... He endured on the cross. All the agony that the unbelieving will endure from the wrath of God, He endured it on the cross. So He didn't just give His life physically, but He endured the very spiritual death that all unbelievers will endure. This is what He did. And knowing full well the entire time before he leaves heaven and when he gets here, this is what he's heading to do. It was not a surprise to him. All of this was planned out, and he carried it, he carried out every aspect of what the Father had willed for him to do. That kind of love, we can't emulate that. We can die physically for each other, but we can't die spiritually for each other as he did. That's why when we're looking at this particular passage and in light of who we are and in light of the things that, that we've done, he says, you're my friends and I'm going to show you how much that I love you as my friends because I'm not only going to die a physical death, I'm going to endure the very things, the very pains of hell 
in your place. That's, that's love. That is the greatest demonstration of the Lord Jesus Christ saying, you are my friends and I lay down my life for you. And he says, this is the great example to follow. Now, we can't follow it in the same way that he did it. It would be an insult to try. But this does give us an understanding of how we ought to love one another. If, we, if he had only said that this is the example that you are to follow, then we would be in some difficulties because we would be discouraged saying we can't do that. But here's what he says next. You are my friends if you do what I command you. So it's not about following his example to the fullest as he did it. But it is saying, since I have done this, I have given an example of the, the love that should be existing among you. The active, continuous love. And here's what I command of you. We do the things that he says, not the things that he did. Because we can't do those. But we do follow in the things that he said for us to do. We are to be characterized by love, absolutely. And we have this great privilege of being called friends of the Lord Jesus. He says to his own disciples, No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. And this is, this is very profound. That the God of all creation who becomes incarnate as, as his closest friends to him. And he says, even though I'm the master, you're the servants. He says, I don't consider you to be that because I'm going to share things with you. I'm going to, I'm going to disclose things to you that he's not under any obligation to disclose to them. At all. He doesn't have to tell them any of these things. But he does so out of his love for them. And he says... This is also a demonstration that you are my friends because I am sharing these things with you. And that's what friends do. As we were talking about at the beginning, friends share things with one another. We tell each other all kinds of things. And Christ is sharing these things with his own. All the things that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. The consummation of all things. I mean, when you read the epistles, I mean, what all you're reading? You're reading of the consummation of all things, the renewing of the earth, the renewing of our bodies. The, even the, in the writings of John, the very things that occurred after the resurrection of our Lord, his coronation. He, show, he was shown all of those things. He was shown, shown the very end of all things. A number of them wrote about the new heavens and the new earth and the various ways that they would describe it. He disclosed all these things to them. And he didn't have to. But he did it because they are his friends. Only one other was really considered to be or said to have been a friend of God. And that was Abraham. But he says this in relation to all the people of God. You are my friends. It is contingent upon this. You are my friends if you do what I command you. You can't just say, Jesus is my friend. 
You're only deceiving yourself. You're only lying to yourself. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Now, what's he referring to? Is he saying that you can, you can only have salvation if you do this and do this and, and work your way? No. But he is, he is discussing the very characteristics of a genuine believer. Is keeping the commandments of the Lord. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. That's what John says in 1 John. He says earlier, my father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. The good works and the fruit, all of that, the keeping of the commandments. This is evidence of true saving faith, of true genuine faith. If you say that Jesus is your friend and you live however you want and disregard all the things of God, chances are you're not his friend. Because a true friend is going to delight in these things. And notice that. The way that he words that. He says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. And then he speaks about this love that should be there. So he's really distinguishing and just the things that he's saying, the implication of some of the things that he's saying is it's not good enough just to render service. To say that I will do, I will do, I will do out of my duty towards him. It should be a delight within the people of God to do for him because there should be that love that exists, that we love him to the extent that we delight in order to do these things. And love is, is right at the forefront here. Sometimes we diminish the very character of love that we should have. But when you look in 1 Corinthians 13, for example, a passage that we all know, the love chapter, he talks about faith, hope, and love, right? The greatest of these is love. Love is greater than faith. Love is greater than hope. And actually, within that passage... Well, I'll save it. We'll, we'll continue on. We'll, we'll go to that passage in a moment. <clears throat> this kind of obedience, this kind of love, is this active, continuous, simple obedience to the Lord and delighting in doing so. And we, we need to be reminded of this, that he says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. It's, it's not burdensome to do these things. It should be a delight. In light of this kind of love that he has demonstrated to us, it should be a delight on our, our part to say, Lord, command what thou would and grant what thou dost command. That's what Augustine prayed. James Montgomery Boyce, he says this, it means coming to him in love to do whatever he asks of us, not picking and choosing as some do, not exalting those aspects of the Christian faith we like and neglecting those we dislike. Rather, it means coming with that yielded humility of mind and body that places us prostrate at his feet and asks from that position, Lord, what will you have me to do? It is only when we ask that question and mean it 
that we find ourselves being lifted up to the great errands of our king, not and not as slaves either, but rather as a friend of Jesus. That last part, it is only when we ask that question and mean it that we find ourselves being lifted up to do the great errands of our king and not as slaves either, but rather as a friend of Jesus. And that's the question, isn't it? Are you a friend of Jesus? Because a friend of Jesus delights. Delights in the Lord. And delights in being obedient. Not as slaves. But as friends. Because we see the greatness of who He is. And the relationship that He's entered into with us. What can I do for you? Command of me whatever you will. That's that delighting and that love working with our own hearts to manifest it back to Him. And what that produces is fruit-bearing disciples, right? Now this is interesting here. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. Now in the day... It wasn't the rabbis that would choose their disciples. It's the disciples that are choosing the rabbis. I want to go learn from that one. From that man over there. I want to learn from him. But the opposite is true when it comes to Jesus. Jesus says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. you we can look at that in a variety of ways. You Ultimately, you have the overarching divine election. Which then... Results in the things that he's speaking of here. I chose you and appointed you. I set you apart. I set you aside for specific things. We didn't choose him. He chose us. And not only did he choose us unto salvation to be the, uh, to be the recipients of his love... But he chose us and appointed us for certain tasks, for certain responsibilities, a responsibility that you have if you are in Christ. It could be a variety of things. Whatever God has gifted you with, he has appointed you to that very task, that very responsibility. When it comes to bearing fruit and in the, in the context of what he's talking about here, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. That you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. Now, a lot of theologians looking at this would say that the idea of what he is speaking of specifically here is for the disciples going out and preaching the gospel and people being converted. That fruit which remains. That is long lasting. It's eternal. We're talking about fruit. We're talking about good works. Synonymous with good works. But not only is that bearing of fruit of his disciples preaching the gospel and people being converted. Well, obviously we can't convert them. It is only of the Lord that people come to faith. But we are to be the instruments and be ambassadors and seeking to bring people to faith and the Lord will do as he wills. But the other things of our lives of bearing fruit 
in the way that we love each other. In the way that we love each other, we honor the Lord. In the way that we don't, we dishonor the Lord. We bear good works amongst each other. Good works among our our other friends and family, our workplaces. Bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Fruit of the Spirit. There's a number of ways in which the Lord has appointed us and set us apart to bear fruit. But that can only happen if we go back to the early things that he said in this chapter of abiding in him. Again, nothing of spiritual value will be brought about unless we're abiding in him. You're set apart. You've been set aside for specific responsibilities and duties. You may think of the things that you do as being very minimal, but they're not. And they're not because a sovereign God has appointed you specifically to do it. That's no small thing. As you're looking in those chapters of 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, and, and you're looking at the, the gifts of the Spirit and all of that, have some that are an eye, some that are a foot, some that are a hand, but they all matter, and they are all appointed to their specific places by our sovereign Lord. And we all need to be working together. And the very thing that keeps this going is love. Not elevating ourselves above one another, not disregarding one another, not ignoring one another, but it's an actual doing. It's an active love, seeking each other out, loving on each other, demonstrating our love for one another within the local congregation. Now, we think perhaps sometimes that we can do certain things and we can you know, get by without having to do that. But listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'll just read all the verses there. He says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, do not have love. I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge... And if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked does not take into account a wrong suffered. That's a big one. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. 
When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, and reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. That's love that exists within the congregation. Not just within a marriage. It's the congregation. This is that kind of love. Patient love. That's a huge characteristic of this kind of love. It's patient love. We like to move things along pretty quickly. We like for us to be done with something and move on to the next. Oftentimes, maybe it doesn't happen that way. Love is patient. Love bears all things. Hopes all things. But did you see what he said, though? If I can do all these things, if I can speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and we do, we're never told in Scripture that there's ever a tongue of angels. Anytime angels always spoke with man, it was always in their particular language. Whether they were speaking Hebrew or they're speaking Aramaic or they're speaking Greek. They always spoke in the tongues of the people that they were communicating with. So we don't even have any remote idea that there is such a thing as the tongues of angels. But what he's talking about here is he's giving those if statements. If there were and if I could speak with the tongues of men and of angels. But I don't have love. I'm just a noisy gong. If I gave my body to be burned, he's not saying he's actually giving his body to be burned, but if I did, profits me nothing. If we don't have love, that's what needs to exist among the people of God is love. Understand, dear friends, that in love, God has predestined you unto adoption. He chose you in love. And then the son demonstrated that great love by carrying out, giving his life for his friends. And then the Holy Spirit demonstrates his love to us by by the things that Christ has accomplished that he applies to our very hearts and lives. To be his presence, to be Christ's presence on earth. And all of this is grounded in the very things that we do for the Lord and trying to manifest that love and to work within the things that God has told us to do. Because it does take prayer. And that's what he grounds all of that in. The mission of everything that we do is grounded in prayer. So whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. It's all, it's all, it's necessary for all of this to be grounded in prayer. Because I have to overcome myself in order to love you as I should. You have to overcome yourselves in order to love each other as you should. Just when it comes to those other laws that we read of in the Decalogue, we understand that it's a heart issue. We have to overcome our own hearts in order to make certain that we're not doing these things that are displeasing to the Lord. And it's the same thing when it comes to love. I must deal with myself. And overcome my own heart and my own shortcomings in order to love and to fulfill our mission. And 
Granted, we all have different things that we do, but one of the main things that each of us as the people of God have to do is that of sharing the gospel to the lost. That is all of our mission. Everyone's mission. Having a heart for the lost. And understand, dear friends, that no one is so far gone that they are without hope. If the Apostle Paul, who was a persecutor of the church, killing Christians can be converted and to do the great things that he did for the Lord, none are so far gone. Regardless of what we may think, he has to reach no further down to get them as he did with any one of us. And so while we have time and opportunity in that aspect of things, let us then declare the gospel. Because it's the gospel that God uses to apply to the heart. It's the power of God unto salvation. But what it takes is for us to have a heart for them instead of disregarding them. Or saying, or writing them off, whatever. None are so far gone. And when it comes to this overarching theme here, this great lesson of love, let us genuinely seek to, to manifest this within our church setting even more among each other even more but what it's going to take to do that is to abide in our Lord and abiding in our Lord will result, result in that joy of our life it will result in, in that love that we ought to have it will result in even fervent, more fervent prayer all the things that are necessary in order to carry out our mission. But let us be thinking on those things and, and seeking the Lord's help in order to produce those things in our lives. Let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you once again uh, for this portion of your word. And Father, thank you for your great love. Where would we be without it? We would still be lost. We would still be drowning in our own trespasses and sins. Indulging in the things that are wicked and evil in your sight. But thank you that in your great love, you extended it to us even while we were yet sinners. And no longer then are we your enemies, but you have called us your friends. You have set us in a new position. No longer are we rebels, but now we're sons and daughters. What can we render to you, Lord, for all the things that you've done? Help us, help us then to do what is commanded of us, delighting to do so. It's a delight because we know that you're pleased with it. And it's a small thing to sacrifice on our part to show you that we love you in light of all of the great things that you've done for us. Teach us to be people of God that is, that is honoring to you. Teach us to be the church that is characterized by its love.
you will work within our hearts. Father, thank you again. Of course, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.